Three, two, two, one. one. Hey, we're back. We are back. Feels strange to be in the dunny today. Dunny. Yeah, it's strange. We haven't been here in a while. Um, by the way, uh, my little brother, he looked up the term dunny because he, he wondered what we meant by that. Turns out um, it's an English or Australian term for bathroom. Hey, <laughs> we were way off. <laughs> well, and also maybe unintentionally very accurate. Yeah, it is kind of strange that dunny, potty, that we're in the dunny and we're producing potty. Oh, man. That actually lines up really well. It's levels. Yeah. What we thought was once a dungeon is actually a bathroom. Yeah. The content we're producing is actually potty. Oh, is that what it was? We were shortening the term dungeon? Yeah. Yeah. For dunny. So there's still both two syllables, but dunny somehow feels more palatable than dungeon. Yeah. It's a little softer. <laughs> Makes the dungeon not yeah. seem so dark and dreary and empty. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's a very quiet world out there. It's been months now of this um, self-isolation process. So, so a month, month and a half, depending on when you, yeah, when everyone dipped out on their own. Yeah. Yeah. It's a still world out there, no doubt. It, it does feel kind of strange. It seems like there's a little bit of hope on the horizon. It does. Maybe turn in a corner. Maybe turn in a corner. Yeah. Hopefully. Hopefully soon. Yeah. That's the hope. Yeah. What have you been up to during this quarantine? Uh, life as usual. You know, one, one thing that I've noticed is when I get out on the trails, the trails are packed. They're busy. Yeah, they're so busy. Yeah. And I remember I used to really promote the ideal of everyone getting outside, enjoying nature, you know, and, um, lately. <laughs> I see exactly where this is going. Yeah. <laughs> everyone follow the stay at home rules. Dan's upset that you're on the trail. <laughs> I mean, upset's kind of a strong, <laughs> strong term, but but I kind of liked it when it was a little, a little easier to just be by myself out there. <laughs> when you could have be in a uh, isolative state, out on the trails, feeling yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Upset's a strong term. Going think... back to our emotions, Potty. What emotion is there, Dan? <laughs> I think we identified that you only know anger. Well, it depends on the narrative I put to it, right? <laughs> yeah. So I feel excitement <laughs> that people are on the trails. Huh. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I realized maybe I've been self-isolating for quite some time. <laughs> Decades? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so that's what I've been up to. I've been out on the trails along with everyone else. And it really is like at the core, I think that's really cool. People getting yeah. out, getting active, yeah. um, taking care of themselves to try and stave off that, those quarantine blues. No doubt. I, I know we mentioned this <clears throat> previously, but just feeling really glad to be, or lucky maybe to be in Flagstaff during a stay at home order. Yeah. The ability to get outside. And I mean, yeah, there's just so much room for that. Um, you can still be safe, social distance, that whole thing, mm -hmm. but being outside with other people, um, particularly with family has been really fun. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Man. How about the weather lately? Yeah. It turned a corner there like a week wow. and a half ago or so. Yeah, yeah. Right there at the end of April. Just unreal. Yeah. 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 So yeah, the weather's been nice. Um, 
yeah, it's been really good opportunities to get outside, spend time outside. Yeah. Pulling through, still doing the telehealth. Still doing the telehealth. Full time. Getting those uh, uh, sleepy eyeballs. Yeah. Well, do, did you get your uh, blue light glasses? I haven't got my blue blockers yet. <laughs> your blue blockers. <laughs> I'm certainly thinking about it, though. <laughs> <laughs> Will you please get a pair of those big blue blockers? The big blue blockers? <laughs> From the old school yes from the 90s they look like the kind that go over your glasses yeah they look like like maybe a fighter pilots <laughs> <laughs> what if you showed up to telehealth appointment and it, you know it logs on and you just got this pair of blue blockers covering your whole face i uh, love yeah, it i think my clients would probably take me more seriously yeah maybe that would help it <laughs> <laughs> help yeah oh, man another well, point you know is a. Uh, going back a couple years it's the time of year where the chums are back on the sunglasses uh chums is back chums is back dude you're back on the river i didn't even notice today are you disappointed i didn't notice you got the chums around your neck there i've been waiting all day for you to give me some crap yeah and so now i had to bring it up chumsley 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 is back chumsley's back in the dunny (laughs) dude you headed out on the river Uh, right after right right after we record today cody wore his chum so he can get back out on the river gotta get back on that river get my cut off jorts (laughs) my jorts and my chums man i'll just be happy 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 do you you go do you you go with jorts chums nothing else (laughs) just 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 to offend the earth (laughs) just Uh, rocking the shirtless with chums uh what a awful sight <laughs> the planet even cringes a pair of sandals some cut off levi jorts in your chums and chums what a look dude uh what a look yeah man well it feels good to be back in here we do have we have a throwback so today we're gonna be playing an episode that we recorded quite a while ago yeah just with the way that we've ended up releasing things um a great interview um that we're going to get into today yeah no doubt this was a really fun interview i thought and i'm glad you mentioned that as we recorded this really when the pandemic was not really not even on the horizon yeah. yeah it was maybe just barely on the horizon or starting to grow while in china in china yeah, yeah not here not here in the states by any means and so yeah there's not really any mention of what what things were like at that time as far no. as the pandemic goes no, no, no. I, the person we're interviewing i'm sure that their job has changed drastically since yeah. uh since you know stay at home and stuff like that so yeah i know that it has um and interestingly look for this but the person speaks about spending time with family like over the holidays and yeah. you know how that requires a bit of self-care and planning at times <laughs> to go back to our loved ones yeah. and i was thinking what a paradox that is because mm-hmm. we've been in this extended phase of uh time with loved ones and so um just those little deets details about spending time with family over the holidays man so relevant right now so relevant yeah just stretch it out yeah (laughs) for for months months. yeah Yeah. wow well so let's let's uh let me introduce you to who we're going to be interviewing for this episode yeah who we going to be on flag with all right so for this show we're going to be on flag with dr megan gavin She's the director of NAU's Counseling Services, so fairly prominent position here in Flagstaff. Um, Megan Gavin, a.k.a. The Great Gavsky. Gatsby? Gavsky. Gatsby. Like Gavin, Gavsky, 
Gavsky. Yeah, the great Gavsky. Gotcha. Yeah. She earned her BS degree from biology at Indiana University, and and she earned an MA degree in community counseling from Northern Arizona University and a PhD in counseling psychology from NAU as well, a.k.a. Harvard of the West. Harvard of the West. As director of counseling services, Megan Gavin manages staff, fulfills administrator duties, interfaces with other campus departments, and promotes outreach and networking between counseling services and the broader campus community. She also maintains a caseload of clients on the side of all of that. In addition to being director of counseling services, the great Gavsky is treasurer for the Northern Arizona Psychological Society. Naps. Shout out Naps. Naps. Megan is from the Hoosier state of Indiana and bears a strong resemblance in appearance and personality to one Elaine Bennis. Yada, yada. Yada, yada, yada. Yada, yada, yada. Elaine Bennis from Seinfeld. Um, she also starred in an episode of the 90s hit talk show, Jenny Jones. No way. <laughs> yeah, do you remember no way. that? Oh, man. That might be the Jenny highlight. Jones. Yeah, that might be the highlight of the interview. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully we can get the dirty details from the episode. Um, so listen for that. Yeah, we got some digging to do. Yeah, yeah. Personally, uh, I really enjoyed hearing how Megan balances all the work stuff and the, her view of counseling and, and her approach to her work. Um, also, I was a little disappointed in this interview, I remember, because it got cut short. She was on the way out of town. Yeah. And um, we were moving along, and then it came time for her to get going when we just got to how she relates to Flagstaff. Yeah. But I know her personally. I know how much she really enjoys Flagstaff, and so it would have been cool to hear more. She does touch on that, which I think is great. Yeah, yeah. she just dips her toes into it a little bit, yeah. 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 Do you remember anything about the interview? It was a bit a while ago that we did it. Oh, that was a good time. You know, I was trying to front like we have to do some digging on the Jenny Jones thing, but for me that was a ton of fun. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. We still I don't think we've gone and found the footage from it. We need to find the we footage. We need to find that footage. Yeah. yeah. So if anyone out there who listens to this finds that footage of the great Gavsky on the Jenny Jones show. Yeah. I'll please pass it along. If you have an uncle or an aunt who's a PI or something and can uh, <laughs> yeah. dig up some stuff from the nineties. Yeah. 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 That'd be great. Megan Gavin, Jenny Jones. Yeah. Well, at this point, let's step into the dunny and go beyond flag with Dr. Megan Gavin. Welcome to Beyond Flag, a Beyond the Pines production, created by, with, and for the people of Flagstaff, building connection in the town we love. We are your hosts, Dr. Daniel J. Phillips, and Cody Bayless, also known as Dr. Chinchilla Nice Nice. Thanks for tuning in as we go Beyond Flag, straight from the dunny of our observatory. All right, welcome. Here we are with Dr. Megan Gavin, the great Gavsky. Welcome. Welcome. On. She she uh, rode over on her bike. We want to let all of the listeners know. My mom, Cody's mom. Yeah. We want to let them know that uh, Megan was eco eco friendly, yeah. intentionally reducing her carbon emissions. Absolutely. Yeah. Well done. Thanks for being here, Megan. Thank you for having me. Yeah. 
And so, like we mentioned, Megan works as the director for NAU's Counseling Services. And so, why don't you tell us a little bit about what that entails? That seems like a multifaceted position. Thanks, Dan. Yes, multifaceted is a great way to put it. Um, Counseling Services speaks for itself. That's the agency on campus that offers mental health support to students of all walks of life. And so my job as director um, is to obviously be a part of the mental health support, whether it's individual, couples, group counseling, outreach, etc. But also my job would entail being kind of the primary point person um, for counseling services for the rest of the campus and Flagstaff community. So I get to communicate about services, I get to manage any complaints that come in, I'm sure they're few and far between. Um, I get to manage any concerns. I interface with upper administration around policy, procedural changes, clinical system intakes, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And then I manage the center in general. So I get to oversee all of the staff, all of the clinical practices. Of course, there are lots and lots of people that are helping me with that, and I'm very thankful for that. But um, I think that sums it up. Sounds exciting. It is. Never a dull moment over there, Dan. Yeah, I was thinking work that could easily be accomplished in 40 hours, huh? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, roughly, what's the email count per day? Great. What's, I have never counted. I prefer to keep my email inbox as clean as possible. Okay. So I delete as many okay. as possible, sometimes before reading. Mm-hmm. Just <laughs> um, I don't know. Probably... 50 to 60 a day, but but I'm okay. also part of listservs, of course, and we yeah. all know listservs can um, flood our inbox and make it look a little bit more full than mm-hmm. it truly is. So um, 50 to 60. Yeah. 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 That's not, but it's manageable. That's manageable. Dan, what's your email count per day? What's my email count? Uh, yeah, not 50 or 60 yeah. for sure. Five on a rough day? Yeah, probably around that. Yeah, yeah that's nice. I, I don't have a lot of people. you could join. You do? Yeah, I don't want them. I, I don't have a lot Party of people looking, looking to reach out to me, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it makes me, listening to you, it sounds like a lot of different hats to yes. me uh, in the way that you describe it. Lots of different roles that you play. So without throwing some of those roles under the bus, do you have um, parts of the job that you enjoy the most? Sure, the- sure. I would say my heart is still absolutely connected to the individual counseling piece. While I like couples and group counseling, uh, the profound connection to be had in in individual therapy with that person sitting across from you, um, I would never want to give up. A a lot of directors at college counseling centers do not carry any kind of caseload because it's simply unmanageable with other responsibilities. And um, I I think I'm a little bit crazy for continuing to do it, but I also think I would not be able to manage um, my own well-being and job satisfaction without that component. So that's probably my absolute favorite part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is it that you love about individual counseling? Great question. Um, I, I think I alluded to it initially with regard to just the profound connection with other yeah. people. It's, yeah. it's often pretty one-sided. I do like to self-disclose perhaps more than the average <laughs> therapist. Um, but I would say the the honor of sitting in the room with somebody who is opening up and sharing about their life story, whether that is kind of problems in everyday life or a trauma history or some other kind of significant event. Um, it's It just blows my mind that we can create a space for an individual to 
open up and and maybe explore process heal mm-hmm. or begin to heal yeah i guess i was wondering some of the issues that are unique to maybe the counseling or to college population yeah. that you work with a lot that's a great question um you know what's not unique is anxiety is probably the number huh. one concern on campuses, really on NAU's campus, certainly across the country, and I think nationally, whether it's a college population or not, and I won't go down that rabbit hole, but I'd say unique concerns, you, you might, probably wouldn't be surprised, or continue to be identity development, hmm. um, development as a human in terms of who do I like, what do I like, where do I like it, who do I want to become, what do I believe in. Yeah. Um, how might that differ from those around me or my original, you know, family of origin and caregivers? Um, so I really like that time in somebody's life as they're beginning to figure out who they are, mm-hmm. what they like, what that means for them, how that taps into previous experiences, et cetera. Yeah. So no, certainly, I was wondering why. Why do you think anxiety's gone so high recently? I said I wasn't going to go down that rabbit hole. (laughs) You are. (laughs) Well, I I think we're it's a unique time uh, Mm -hmm. nationally, internationally, in terms of um, I think some socio-political concerns. Climate change is often identified as a very big concern, particularly for for the college student generation and younger. Um, I would say social media, from what I can see, there seems to be a direct correlation between the, the uptick in social media use and depression and anxiety, yeah. I, again, particularly in this generation. Um, mm. I also, maybe I'm a little bit old in saying this, but I believe people are no longer connecting as much uh, in a face-to-face, um, re- real-time um, kind of way. And, and for whatever reason, that's creating a lot of anxiety and depression in terms of just the sense of belonging, sense of connection. Yeah. Uh, sense of just be, being a human on yeah. this planet. Oh, certainly. I mean, we believe you're kind of wired for that. Yeah. Yeah. I, all all research tends to point to that. Our history as a as a species tends to point to that. Yeah. But I'm not old because I think that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Young Dan. Yeah. <laughs> Another nickname. Another nickname. Young Dan. Young Dan. Yeah. So it makes me wonder. What do you do? Um, when you're working with a college student and they come in and let's just let's just pick one of those things like social media seems to have be having an impact on the individual in terms of their experience with mm-hmm. anxiety or depression or whatever um how do you go about treatment for that or intervening there yeah it's a good question i mean a couple basic things come to mind right would they be willing to frankly, take a break from their phones, take a break from social media hmm. um, for a few hours, for a day. There's, And that's not that's not special to me. There's all kinds of good efforts and um, campaigns on college campuses, including NAU, around that. Um, however, I, I on an individual basis, I also look at what is getting in the way of them creating those connections. Oftentimes it's fear, fear of vulnerability, mm. fear of being somehow rejected. So we're doing a lot of exploration around those fears and anxieties mm-hmm. that um, interrupt their ability to reach out and take a risk and make a connection, whether it's with the person sitting next to them in class or their um, hallmate, you know, in a residence hall, etc. So I, that's where a lot of the work is happening in, in my office anyway. Yeah. So going to those deeper, deeper things. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So you, you mentioned earlier that uh, self-disclosure is a component to your therapeutic approach. Yeah. Do you have any cool (laughs) cool self-disclosure stories for us? That's a big question, Dan. (laughs) It's a good question, right? No, I often just talk to clients about my own fears and and struggles with vulnerability for if we're talking about that, for Mm. example, to to help normalize that, to to give them examples from my own time of either that being a barrier or overcoming that just for a small, you know, here and now example for a student um, that might be in my office. Other times of self-disclosure, uh, no, I t- you know, I'll share about family, especially um, uh, leading into and after the holidays when we might have had the opportunity to slip back into mm. family dynamics and, uh, again, using that to normalize um, what, what might have been the outcome with my clients and just talking about how, in general, family dynamics can be really difficult, people can be really difficult, and we often slip back into old roles before we know it. So mm-hmm. again, using it to normalize and validate, but then talk about what do we, what do we need to do differently? Yeah. Yeah. So in disclosing about fears, uh, what's that like for you? What is that like for me? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. It's actually, I think it's probably just as powerful for me to, to name sure. them, talk about them. Um, it, it sometimes falls flat. You can typically see on a client's face if they're like, yeah, mm. I didn't, I don't care about your stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Whether that um, lands or not. But it, but it often can be very helpful. I get feedback from a client that they appreciate kind of that human experience mm-hmm. and knowing they're not alone with it. Yeah. Just like they might in a group therapy setting, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and what's it like for me? It's good to name it, like I said, and yeah. it's good to, um, normalize it for myself not just for the student yeah certainly uh, you know i was thinking to go back to something you were mentioning earlier that seemed pretty relevant to the college population is climate change mm-hmm. and um i guess i was curious like how much people are responding to that and then what are how are people reacting or what are they doing with it yeah that's a great question i think it, it certainly depends on the individual I, it feels like more and more students are coming in with awareness around climate change science awareness mm-hmm. around <clears throat> what that means in terms of short and long term um, implications for this planet. Um, but so, but it often was initially certain populations of students that would address that concern. Mm. Maybe they happen to be in a major with a focus around climate science or climate change or with an exposure to Mm -hmm. climate science or climate change compared to other majors. Um, What's it like? I would say there in general, there's fear about what that means for their quality of life. Mm -hmm. Um, Any generations after them um, in terms of quality of life, I would say there's fear around um, just our ability to continue life on this planet as is, you know, use of resources, et cetera. So that's pretty vague or broad. Yeah. Yeah. Does anger come out at all? Do you see anger in those sessions when you're working with clients talking about climate change? Yeah, good question. Certainly from time to time, yeah. mostly fear. Mostly fear. Um, and then mostly ang- kind of internalized anxiety mm. um, or, yeah, and fear. Yeah. But yeah. occasionally anger. There's certainly anger around other issues. Sure. Um, yeah, some energy around some other sociopolitical <laughs> issues. So. You, you have like a glint in your eye when you say that? I'm just <laughs> thinking about a few experiences just, I've had. Just saying, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, none that you want to go into. <laughs> I'm not sure what, how broad this podcast or, or specific this podcast uh, is. We want, we I'm want aware to your moms are going to be listening. To that. <laughs> oh, man. Intently. Yeah. Sister Phillips is okay with some sharing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so in thinking about your job, it makes me, um, we've, we narrowed in on what it's like to work with the individual clients and how rewarding that is for you. Um, I also wondered in your description, what is it like working with administrators at the school? Um, yeah, I, I guess my knee jerk thought about would be, it'd be like banging your head against the wall, but what, what is it really like? No, I have to say, and, and I'm not just saying this because this could be heard by your mom. Um, <laughs> I feel like NAU is very, very supportive and, and in particular upper administration is very, very supportive of mm-hmm. counseling services, campus health services, mental health support on campus mm-hmm. in general. Um, we, we basically, um, are given, um, the, the latitude to do what we think is most appropriate and best at any moment in terms of mental health su- services for our students. We are, of course, always communicating with our executive director and assistant vice president. We are always communicating with other um, appropriate administrative officials, but we are almost never being told no. We are, we are almost always said yes, and what can we do to help you? Um, so I feel like we have a very good relationship with the university administration um, and I feel like we're always um, getting the support we need when we ask for it within reason right I would like to grow our staff by about 50 that's not reasonable or Mm -hmm. possible Mm -hmm. but um, in terms of ways we provide services in terms of new ideas in terms of ways to manage flow differently um, we get a lot of thumbs up Hmm. to meet the demand would you need 50 staff you know, we haven't figured out what our sweet spot is. I don't yeah, know yeah. if any university counseling center has, but um, apparently growing by about 75%, like we did from last year to this year, is still not enough. We yeah. have continued to maintain a wait list and a very high demand for services. I think we're doing some great things around trying to be more efficient and streamlined, mm-hmm. um, trying to keep people from the wait list by offering some other services um, starting this spring. So we don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I think... We're always trying to calculate that, but um, for a university this size, I keep saying, I think we need 22,000 therapists, but not realistic. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and, and you allude to this, but to just be more clear, what you're talking about is a nationwide epidemic and um, it's specific to the population generally, but also more especially to the college populations. Absolutely. These increases. Yeah. Yeah, An epidemic, but also I think something that could be celebrated. I, I believe this country has done a really nice job over the past couple of decades in reducing stigma around help seeking and especially mm. mental health seeking, mental health help seeking behavior. Uh, so yay, we've done it. We've told people how to, how to recognize signs of distress, how to receive support, how to refer yeah. people for support. What we forgot to do was add, add the support, bulk up the resources on the receiving end. So we brought the horse to water, but there's not enough water. Um, it's kind of what I say, which I don't really, I don't like using animal, you know, metaphors, but there you go. Um, (laughs) so I think we've part of like, like I said, the epidemic is simply bringing light to mental health need Mm -hmm. and resources, but there's just not being enough resources. Yeah. Yeah. So I I would agree. Like, it seems like, especially with the younger generation, like I think of some of the high school students, it seems that there is more openness to going into therapy and then it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with them. Um, you see that in college as well. Yes, absolutely. And and that's improving. I guess I would wonder what would need to happen to continue to reduce that stigma. Hmm. Continue to communicate about it, continue to normalize it, whether 
whether people are seeking support for significant mental health issues mm-hmm. or, or chronic mental health issues or severe mental illness to problems in everyday life, personal growth and understanding, just to continue, continue to normalize that having a safe, confidential place to do that exploration. Yeah. Um, and, and again, processing perhaps healing is really one of the most powerful things we can do as a human being. Yeah, um, and also one of the most powerful parts of our overall well-being. Yeah. So. Yeah, I really uh, appreciate what you were saying about that, like genuine human connection and how that can occur through therapy. Yeah, It seems that, I might be wrong about this, but to me it seems that vulnerability is having a moment right now and that it's, people are really yes. drawn to that. Yeah. Um, and I guess I would wonder just how much that um, would help reduce stigma in, in mental health circles or settings. Uh, I think it would be, it's probably the number one thing that so. could help reduce stigma. Yeah. Um, is is talking openly about it, leading by example, um, not being shy, you know, yeah. not not thinking that we have to hide the mental health services in these back alleys or um, yeah. in embedded in clinics, right? Just to be open about, um, yeah. right? This is this is an aspect of our well being, just like going to see the doctor for a cold or getting yeah. a flu shot would be. That it's it's something to be celebrated. It's something to be sure. um, open with. And so the more vulnerable we could be, the more open we can be with mental health treatment, I think we'll continue to see that yeah. stigma reduced. And so going back to the self-disclosure, when you talk about fears, do you think that sort of aids in that? Does it? I hope so. Yeah. I, I think, um, I, I also think authenticity is a word I use a lot. So mm. vulnerability is probably the number one word I use in my life, let alone in the therapeutic setting. And then authenticity would be the other one. They go hand in hand. Maybe they're even synonymous with one another. Um, so self-disclosure is an opportunity to be authentic about, yeah, we all struggle. We all have our issues. Um, and, and really how do we create a support system and a self-care routine that allows us to navigate those as best as possible? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Thinking about all that all collectively, um, the way I hear it is these are things that are helping to reduce stigma related to mental health, but also those are things that help with mental health generally. Um, you know, uh, a moment ago you mentioned, uh, that things pop up in life that can, um, create distress for us. And, and one example you used was traveling back home for the holidays and that we can go back into family dynamics. So where did the great Gavsky come from? Take us back to the origins of the great Gavsky. Wow. That's a great question. Hey, Dr. CB. You want to know one thing that's different between our podcast and other podcasts? Other than the quality? Yeah, I mean, that's that's one aspect, but I'm not going down that road. Okay. One other thing you yeah. want to know? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I do. So when I listen to other podcasts, I hear like them promote things. So they, they, they probably have paid advertisers. Oh, yeah. To recoup the cost of what they're creating. But they're promoting things. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Well, this makes sense because I always feel like Dak Shepard's trying to sell me some juice <laughs> or a mattress. Yeah, and before now, uh, you thought that he just inherently loved that juice that he stopped his show halfway through to say, Cody Bayless, because this juice makes me happy and I want you to be happy, I'm going to tell you about this juice. Yeah, well, I did it up until this moment. I'm questioning myself. <laughs> yeah, he probably didn't. <laughs> so I thought we could be more like other podcasts by promoting things. And since we don't have paid sponsorship, we could just promote things off Craigslist for the Flagstaff area. 
I love this idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's just amazing things out there. And I would want other people to know about those amazing things. Uh-huh. For example, yeah. just glancing through today, yeah. uh, one thing that's available for free, free rocks. What? Yeah. Free rocks? Yeah. I, I just sent it to you. Okay. Do you, do you got the posting there? Boom. It says ah. free rocks, parentheses, Flagstaff. Yeah. You know what? It comes to mind is this is such a good thing. Living on a volcano, what's the one thing I need more of? Rocks. Rocks. There you go. Yeah. Break down the listing for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, first of all, so anyone can follow along, it's post ID number 711-299-9728. Feel free to just look it up. It's free rocks there. And what they've written is we have a huge pile of rocks in our yard that we have been adding to for years. I was told that sometimes different mining pits want them to fill the holes so we decided to post it, see what happens. You haul them and take as many as you want. They're typical East Flagstaff rocks between baseball and basketball size for the most part. Free. Blammo. All caps free. Yeah. I know those East Flagstaff rocks, man. Yeah. We need more of those. Well, just uh, more intentionally distributed, right? Yeah. Like we, we have the same amount. Like even if one person picks up those rocks and moves them to another area of Flagstaff, they're still here in Flagstaff. Oh, collectively, we still yeah. have the same. I see what you're saying. But we're just a lot more intentional about where those rocks are going. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, check it out. Free rocks on, on Craigslist. Post ID 711 <laughs> You know, this is actually one of my favorite things to talk about because I grew up in a college town in Bloomington, Indiana. Uh-huh. I think Indiana is often a state that people don't know exists. Um, <laughs> and they certainly don't know that southern Indiana is one of the most beautiful places in the country, if you ask me, in terms of um, things that are important to me. So rolling countryside and deciduous forests. <coughs> Excuse me. Um and then having grown up in a college town probably had a profound impact on me in terms of mm. the importance of education, the importance of um, diversity, the importance of culture. It's a very um, diverse town with regard to international impact, with regard to influence from many, many different types of people and cultures. Um, very good education system. So I was, I think, fortunate with that. Um, Indiana actually put some tax, tax dollars towards education unlike some other Ooh. states. Um, oh, can we, can we name any of those? <laughs> um, Is that one of the angering topics? <laughs> that was the glint in my eye from earlier. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, growing up in Bloomington, Indiana, again, a really neat connection in terms of place, in terms of resources. Um, I also came to appreciate the size. I came to appreciate the college town feel. I went to Indiana University, so I went to school in my hometown. I lived on campus. I grew to love the idea of this uh, campus is a little town within a town, and I just started thinking, that's that's my that's my place. I mm-hmm. like to live um, as close to campuses as possible, work on campuses. I love the convenience of what campuses have to offer in terms of the day-to-day life. Um, and then my experience at Indiana University as a student um, I was had a profound impact on my life in terms of connections I made there, things I was involved in. So just a really, I have a really wonderful sense of nostalgia for that town and growing up there. Yeah. And um, 
all that it had to offer. Yeah, strong love. Well, so how did you even make the decisions to stay there for school? So even thinking back to like elementary and adolescence, um, how did you come to make decisions to stay there for school? How did you come to make decisions for what to pursue in school? Um, What were influencers early on in your life? Great question. I had always wanted to be a doctor. So I just... That, that's what I knew. I think it was a really similar t- experience to what lots of kids have. Like, oh, you can be a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher. And um, doctor spoke to me, I think, from a young age, from a helping profession kind of standpoint. I really liked helping other people. I really liked math and science, so I felt competent in those areas because that's the only thing you do if you're a doctor, right? Math and science. Well, that is noteworthy, though, because, um, yeah, th- there is, um, you know, we understand that gender can be an influence for confidence sure. relative to math and science. So that's, sure. how, how did you come about that confidence for those two subject areas when that's kind of the outlier for what happens for a lot of women? Yeah, good question. I think I, frankly, was just a good student and mm-hmm. things came <laughs> uh, comfortably for me or naturally for me in those areas. And then I think the positive feedback or systems that were in place you know, throughout my um, public school education reinforced that. Um, you're right, though. If I if I think about my peers, um, they were mostly male, and then I had a couple girlfriends, and then we were, you know. So I, I, that's something to be, I feel really proud of is that I liked school; it came easily for me. Um, I really enjoyed the challenge of most of my classes. I would say chemistry was one of a challenge I didn't enjoy the most of. But um, <laughs> so as I as I came out of high school and into college, I thought I want to go to med school, so I should be a biology major. I wanted to do the pre-med track, and I realized pretty quickly, I don't really like any of these people. And uh, <laughs> oh, <wow>. and that, <laughs> oh, that's a real wow. broad statement. I know many lovely uh, medical doctors. Yeah, back, back it up. But in yeah. high school, in college. Your primary care physician just canceled your next appointment. <laughs> yes. Um, too bad they can't because they're my colleagues in the health clinic. Um, I, I started thinking, yeah, I don't, I don't love this group. And I also really do not like small, like I don't like molecular. I don't like cellular. I don't like mm. chemistry. I started thinking I really like big picture. Yeah. I, like, I like understanding systems. Um, I like understanding the whole person, the whole picture. I really gravitated more towards, um, <clears throat> uh, you know, things like ecology and, and, other aspects of science that weren't a heavy influence, weren't a heavy part of my major. So by the end of that, I was just trying to get that done and um, realized not going to med school. I don't want to work that hard and I don't want to be with these people. With these dumb people. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What were those traits? Special. Arrogant. I can remember a couple. Yeah. Just a couple I ran across. (laughs) She jumped right on. You mentioned (laughs) arrogant and that glint in the eye came right back. Yeah. Uh, So anyway, I, I, but I was happy to, finished my degree in biology and I actually worked for a couple of years in molecular and genetics lab Oh wow! as a research assistant. It sounds fancy. Um, really all I had to do was follow literally a recipe and I'm very good at following recipes at following instructions. So I was good in my job, but I had no clue what I was doing most of the time. Mm-hmm. And that was anxiety provoking. Um, I was working with nematodes, basically a microscopic organism that are similar to worms. And I realized I don't, they, they can't talk to me. I like to talk. I, yeah. I don't, I don't, you know, um, the nematodes weren't, they the weren't nematodes. doing it. No, man, there was no profound connection. <clears throat> yeah. So, so an orientation toward humans for you An orientation toward humans. Okay. Yes, I am. I'm curious. Had you support in that role? 
a lot of people who were pulling for you and had your back do you yeah. think you would have stuck with it uh if if they hadn't say that again so if, had you a bunch of people in your corner who supported you you think you would have stuck with it or had you felt oh, connected in the in the medical world or in the yeah. in the science world i did have some people in my corner yeah. i think i just knew in my heart that's that wasn't that the wasn't path for, for me yeah yeah I, you know my i had family and friends and the whole gambit and I just knew that that wasn't going to be for me. I didn't know what was going to be for me. I finished yeah. my degree and worked in this lab, but I didn't know what was next. Right. So. Yeah, yeah. So that it brings out these two big questions for me. I, I wonder, how did you decide, doctor? You kind of laid it out a moment ago, like um, you knew going to school was a value, and then you knew these professional options were appealing to you, and that doctor was just one of those. But why, why a doctor, first of all? Um, and then I have a second question here just about that process of knowing in your gut. It sounds like that intuition that, um, going, going the Nimoto route wasn't your jam. Um, like, was that a slow going thing, like a slow burn process or did it come to you at one point? But, but starting off, yeah. What, what about, how did you make the decision to pursue being a doctor? Yeah. Great question. I think it comes back to, I, a very extroverted, very social, love connections, and like to support people, help people. So I think those things came together um, to make me think I wanted to go the helping professions route and a route where I would have a lot of contact mm -hmm. with individuals. And I sometimes, and I don't mean this to say I could have done it academically, but I sometimes think I still would love to be a doctor. I like what, I think I like what they represent in our community. I like what they offer from a physical health perspective. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of um, the medical system right now and the way yeah. it's set up in terms of productivity and um, insurance, you know, kind of running the show. But I, I still, I think that profession is something very honorable and um, beautiful. And But, and maybe we'll get into this later, I also feel like I was able to, bring all of that together in a different way for myself um, as a psychologist and still be able to tap into some of those things. Maybe make about half to a quarter of the salary, but that's okay. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Supposedly happiness is not about money. So yeah. um, Supposedly. Supposedly. According to the data. Yeah. yeah. But um, to answer your other question, Dan, with regards to the nematode, I would say that was a slow burn. Yeah. I was so thankful to have a job in the sciences and to be banking what was my first real job yeah. with regard to a salary and benefits. <clears throat> I thought it was pretty cool that I could work in a lab and come and go at the university more or less at my own pace. You know, yeah. work the 40 hours, but in a flexible environment. I liked being around other scientists in science. Um, <clears throat> I liked some aspects of the job very much. I was very good at, like I said, following a recipe. I was kind of the lab manager as well. Very good at <clears throat> managing, keeping track. I was, I'm organized, detail-oriented, etc. So those things just fit for me. Um, but more... It involved doing some experiments with nematodes, and that started feeling like I think I'm in big trouble from a Buddhist philosophy um, ah. in terms of karma and, you know, <laughs> injecting nematodes with DNA and RNA. And um, so that started feeling a little bit iffy. And also, again, nematodes, apparently, I didn't know this, but they don't talk um, and they don't want to communicate with me and interact with me on a regular basis. So it was a real <laughs> one directional relationship. And I quick, I started thinking this is not for me. And then I had to present in a lab meeting, pretty standard um, kind of <clears throat> weekly behavior for anybody who works in a, in a lab on a university campus. There's lab meetings and people present their work. 
And I realized I had no clue what I was saying. I didn't care what I was saying. Um, and all of these really brilliant people around me must think I'm a real dumbass. So <laughs> I start, that just was like, this is not, I cannot be doing this for the rest of my life. And I really started thinking about wanting to pursue um, postgraduate education yeah. and think about a master's degree and what would that be in, and mm. Yeah, it sounds like you were doing some incredible work, but you felt really disconnected from it at that point. Yeah. And then, yeah, so why psychology? Yeah, so great question. One field of nerdism to another yeah. field of nerdism. <laughs> well, I think I just went with that whole, I never took one psychology class in all of undergrad. Um, wow. An older student had told me that was his goal, was to never take a psychology class. I was like, hey, Matt, mine too. Yeah. I'm going to be like you. So <laughs> I didn't know anything about psychology. Um, yeah. I only knew that I enjoyed people and I felt Okay. connected to people and that might be an opportunity for me to pursue that connection understand people pursue um helping yeah i talked to a couple of friends who were in counseling programs or counseling fields because somebody mentioned to me hey you might like that i talked to um, a friend's mom who was a psychologist and just started to realize oh yeah that sounds really great huh. um and there then i took classes as a benefit eligible employee at the university. I took classes for free in the master's in counseling program. Mm. They had a pretty decent program at Indiana University, um, or a very decent program if anybody from Indiana University ever listens to this. And that- <laughs> My mom and, didn't go there. Okay, good. Yeah. And that just ended yeah, okay. up feeling like, oh yeah, this is where I need to be. This is yeah. this all makes sense. This clicks in a way that the, the molecular and cellular mm. did not. So. Was there a particular theory or anything about that? that? I guess I'm wondering what pulled you in, what clicked. Was it just the connection to humans? It is. I what have is to it? say, when people, I, I'm embarrassed to say, I'm not super driven by <laughs> theoretical approaches. Sure. I do believe in some of the basics like cognitive behavioral therapy. I think most of us do not <clears throat> talk very well <clears throat> or treat ourselves or think very nicely oh, about gosh. ourselves. So yeah. cognitive behavioral therapy aligns with me in that way. Um, but otherwise, no, it was really just the connection to people and, yeah. and the way and, and, oh, there's this whole system already in place to, to connect with people and help them in a professional way. Yeah. yeah. So to see if I understand, you, you start auditing some classes. Yes. Um, and you spoke to a friend's mom that was a psychologist. I wonder if you remember anything that she said or anything about those classes that was particularly in addition to realizing, oh, this is an opportunity to connect. What spoke to you from what people were telling you about yeah, psychology? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, they, they kind of outlined what the job entailed, right? What therapy was like, sitting with somebody, listening to their concerns, helping them move in a new direction. Um, I, and again, I thought, yes, that's what I want to do. That mm. sounds amazing. Um, I remember looking at the course syllabus for one of the classes I took, Intro to Counseling or something like that. And mm. I, again, I thought, yes, that's what I want to learn about. Theories of counseling, counseling processes, um, you know, different types of counseling, individual group couples counseling, and it just all made sense. So I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. I know, I know for me, when I started my master's, the thing that really pulled me in was when we got into existential theory and I thought it was just fascinating. Yeah. Did you find yourself drawn to that? Yeah, at all? Absolutely. Yeah. I would say, um, that's a, that's kind of a, that aligns with me and resonates with me as a human. And then I find it playing into my work on a regular basis. Mm. But certainly as somebody who is new to the field, um, that, that probably was more, one of the more interesting things. Although I have to say, um, I always struggle with philosophy in general. I'd yeah. say that I'm not great when it comes to theoretical or philosophical ideas. I'd mm -hmm. really like 
that's why I could follow recipes well. And I was a good molecular and genetic yeah. scientist because um, it, sometimes it's just following the facts and, and things that are a little bit um, more vague or subjective, again, philosophical, um, are hard for me to get my mind around. Yeah. Um, but in terms of big questions, purpose, meaning, yeah. place, um, how, do, how do we make kind of this time... Uh, how do we juice it for all it's worth existentialism really speaks to me yeah certainly i think i carry with me like some some degree of existential dread at all like all the time yeah and so that's kind of what pulled me into practicing acceptance and commitment therapy Mm -hmm. was was the idea of clarifying what matters in life and then just choosing to act on that and focusing on that yeah yeah you mentioned practicing cognitive behavioral therapy some of our listeners dan's mom in particular might not know a bunch about that could you give us like a quick rundown what is cognitive behavioral therapy well i hope i get this right after all these years and you two will clean it up behind the scenes if we need to (laughs) any opportunity to not clean anything up well Well, it's funny i have to say i don't know if you two experience this but i get a lot of people that say oh my doctor told me i need cognitive behavioral therapy can Mm -hmm. you help me get that and it's like it's it's something you can purchase off a shelf Mm -hmm. or a pill or there's a (laughs) one person in the clinic that can Mm -hmm. maybe do it and so I think either I misunderstood what cognitive behavioral therapy is or it's been sold as this product Mm -hmm. Um, when really I tell clients every we all do it. All of us as therapists, frankly, many of you out there in in the world as a lay person um, can practice cognitive behavioral therapy. To me, it's really looking at unhealthy or irrational Mm -hmm. thoughts beliefs, behaviors, feelings that we carry around about ourselves and others or the environment challenging those with more rational or healthy thoughts Hmm. and trying to put them into place. That's Mm -hmm. kind of how I explain it. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, I think I might have missed where the package cognitive (laughs) behavioral therapy is. I haven't, I might look at buying that (laughs) if I can find it. Um, So it's kind of, it's right. It seems like it's this term that gets thrown out there again as something that you can just sort of grab off the shelf when really it's to me more of a way of being and helping people to, to, become more aware of mm-hmm. their irrational and unhealthy mm-hmm. ways of being and being more intentional about replacing yeah. those with healthier ones. Yeah. So I was wondering, you mentioned like following recipes really well, if cognitive behavioral therapy lends itself to that. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Especially if you think about kind of um, a- any kind of trigger or, you know, mm. antecedent and then how, how we tend the to behavior. respond to that and then how yeah, we may act or feel based on it. Yeah. So, um, I th- I think I think actually that's why it gets sold as a product, and I actually think there's a spectrum by which a lot of clinicians use it. It can be very a very manualized thing mm-hmm. where people are actually doing workbook activities to a little bit more fluid right. and organic, where it's the process of working through the thought just one on one in a unique way. Um, and I think a lot of doctors maybe fall into that framework you're describing where they, they view things as the recipe. They maybe have an orientation to treating things like a recipe. Right. And if they've had a lecture or a continuing education on how this is an opportunity to just formulaically go through this process, you can just send a client and, and formulaic, formulaically do that. Um, whereas is so much more fluid in real time. Right. Mm. And I think that's what I love is the the fluid, the processing, the getting in there and holding on to that one thought and really spending most of a session trying to understand it and understanding mm-hmm. how it 
impacted that person and how they could do it differently, mm-hmm. essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, when, it's funny that you say manualized because I almost immediately am like, Ugh. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I have never been very good, even though I like recipes when it mm-hmm. comes to human beings. I have, I'm just not drawn to manualized therapies. I know mm-hmm. there are many that yeah. have profound evidence-based mm-hmm. research behind them. I've said profound like 50 times, so I'm going to try to use a new word. Make it 51. Honorable or yeah. something like that. Anyway. We'll just bleep it out. Uh, yeah. We'll clean you. it up. <laughs> Um, I, I think that there's some really wonderful, uh, resources and, uh, therapeutic interventions that are, that are more manualized than others. EMDR, for example, being one of them, but, um, I'm, I'm not drawn to them for some reason. I liked Mm -hmm. it in the biological sciences, but it does not, it doesn't translate for me with regard to therapeutic connection. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's some, for some clients, then there's some real, that's not going to work. And Mm -hmm. I can appreciate that what I bring to the table won't work for everybody. And I I try to figure that out pretty quickly and make sure they get connected to the right manualized treatment for them. (laughs) So so it sounds like you really landed where that intuition was driving you. You landed in a place that ended up working well for you. So going back is kind of the slow burn process where you're realizing you're disconnected from your work in the lab um, and feeling inspired and connected to what you hear about psychology. Mm-hmm. So then how did, what's, what goes on at that point? Where do you go from that point? How did you end up moving forward? Hmm. I decided to apply for programs and, um, I applied at Indiana university for a master's program in counseling. If that's, if that's kind of what you're asking, mm-hmm. Dan. And then at the same time I was applying for schools, um, my partner art, was driving across the country, driving sailboats across the country mm. for a friend. Why not? Yeah. And getting paid, of course, because yeah. don't drive sailboats across the country if you're not going to get <laughs> well, paid Well, that's for good it. to know. I thought that was like one of those yeah. favor type things. It's not. <laughs> no. And he stopped in Flagstaff. We had a friend that was going to school here from Indiana University. We also had a friend that we'd grown up with in Bloomington who lived out here mm. at that time. So he stopped, visited with friends, did some mountain biking. It was a beautiful September day. And he was just like... I love Flagstaff. Hmm. It's amazing. And I thought, oh, I wonder if they have a school. I wonder if they have a program. Um, and sure enough, they had an accredited counseling program. Mm-hmm. And I knew yeah. enough at that point that accredited program would be the way to go. Indiana hmm. University's program was not accredited at the time. So I applied to both. I got into both, luckily. I was waitlisted um, at NAU's program and found out the following spring that I'd gotten in. And we decided to go for it. Yeah. And then that kind of began the journey toward master's and doctoral degree here at Northern Arizona wow. University. So, so there was, uh, was it during this time there was a brief sidestep with a trip to Chicago um, to be oh. on the, uh, <coughs> the wonderfully known Jenny Jones show? Well, Dan, you're a little bit um, off, you know, off in your timeline. Time yeah, so what... <laughs> Correct when did, when did that trip to here. Chicago happen? Oh, I, I'm impressed that you remembered it was in Chicago, too. <laughs> so that was during my junior year of college. So I, okay. I think I was 20. Ooh, so you were on the Jenny Jones show? I was on the Jenny Jones show. Ah. Yes. This is now early to mid-90s. Okay, I was going to ask if we could find that footage anywhere. Um, I doubt it. I'm <laughs> no, weird. we're going to find this. Where is it? I I don't the in the most recent one that I think Dan yeah. had the pleasure of witnessing was I believe a video recording of a video uh-huh. and I I truly can't remember where it is at this time uh, but I bet we could dig it yeah, up. We'll I've got out. I've got connections out there that could finally find it for us. Um 
it's now become one of my least proud moments, but in but in my early, you know, to mid twenties, uh-huh. it was a very celebrated accomplishment to get on Jenny Jones. Yeah, yeah. Tell well, us not, about oh, the yeah. adventure. Uh, yeah. We're not going to let you stop there. <laughs> it was least an proud moment. <laughs> I have to say, we. Um, yeah. So I was sitting at home with some of my college roommates. We get a call and uh, from a friend who said, "Hey, do you want to be on Jenny Jones?" Um, and he had just called the you know bottom of the screen during one of the TV shows. You know. <laughs> wow. Have you slept with your ex recently or something like that? <laughs> call If so, call 1-800 and you might be on the show. And he called and ended up getting a bunch of us on the show. And so we flew up to Chicago at whatever said time, sometime I think during the spring semester of my junior year. And we had this whole routine. You know, I mm-hmm. was the ex-girlfriend. We had a friend that was the current yeah. boyfriend. My girlfriend was the current girl. I mean, it was just this whole... Wow. Routine. Yeah. You'd, um, conco- you'd concocted this thing to get this trip to Chicago. We did. I believe we had to sign an agreement saying this was, you know, true and uh-huh. um, real. So concocted is maybe not the right word, Dan. We yeah. told our story. Um, but we did. We ended up getting on the show. Uh, yeah. And then it, it aired live. And um, my dad thought it was probably one of my greatest moments of all time. Proud father moment. He played it yes. at Thanksgiving for family. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, this went big. And you were... So your father plays this for family. And uh, according to the signed documents of this story, you were nefariously sleeping with an ex or something yeah, like that that yeah. was in a current relationship yes. with someone else and your your father is proud he was very proud <laughs> yes very proud is yeah. this where the great gavsky came from I, it, it seems i definitely of some of that some of those genes come straight from him <laughs> he is he's a practical joker and loves oh. a good time what a that's premier genetic loading right there. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say so. Those talk shows typically don't make their money on being cordially, you know, you know, like people interacting in a way that's very polite yeah. and kind. So did you have to like kind of go off or anything? Or yeah, did we someone did. Go off on you? I, me, you know, the, me as the ex and the current girlfriend definitely uh, got into yeah. it, and she was very disappointed to learn that I was sleeping with the ex. And um, <laughs> but we were not quite as entertaining as I think some of the other guests on the show. So hmm. uh, it, it was it was a really fun time. And we had limo rides and plane yeah. rides and food and hotel rooms. And we were afterward um, in a limo with several other people that had been on the show and we were all just yucking it up. And yeah. they also perhaps had concocted their stories. Really? Yeah. Although we signed uh, an agreement saying that this was true. And, yes. Yeah, love that. Yeah. Oh, this is good. Oh, it's great. We're, it's I, we good, appreciate great. the modesty that it wasn't as good as others. I'm, I'm I promise. I'm totally jumping to believe that. I want the footage. I, that's what I think. I genuinely think if you watch the whole show. Yeah. I hope these people out there who, who were the true stars of the show have made millions in terms yeah. of acting and entertainment because they were brilliant. <laughs> well, can I get a selfie with you after? <laughs> It depends, for, on for fame. Fame. <laughs> depends on how the my hair looks. Depends on how The headset's ruining this hair. I'm not taking a picture. Is that is that where you really honed your authenticity and vulnerability? Is that really where you Jenny Jones? carved that out? Yeah, that's I would say that's birth. that's you know uh, an identifying moment, a yeah. real a real highlight in that yeah. in that continuum for me. So. Yeah. Oh, what a great story. Yeah. So we do got to come back to. So then I got the timeline wrong there. You took that little side trip in your junior year of college, but we were at the point at which um, you came to apply here to Flagstaff Mm -hmm. and you guys, you got um, accepted in the spring. What happens? And, And you mentioned your partner a minute ago. So yeah, what happens at that point? 
John Deere. Deer, 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 deer. Hey, this ad. Yeah. This promotion is for all of you out there with your John Deere riding mower. Deer, deer, deer. That may have a dilapidated or old bumper or hitch, or maybe it doesn't have a bumper and hitch. What you're looking for is a bumper and hitch. We got you. We got you. Post ID 711 1049358. I think you got some of the general numbers in there <laughs> included. This is a John Deere riding mower bumper and hitch. So I want to be clear. This isn't the mower. This is just the bumper and hitch for a mower. Oh, for a mower. It's only $50. 50 bucks. Yeah. I know you're all asking yourself, I wonder if this fits my John Deere. So what we got for you here, it says fits L100, L120 riding mower, mowers, and probably more models. Did I hear a moaner? Yeah. What would Freud say? <laughs> I'll leave Freud out of this. Okay. And included in the post, there are pictures of the bumper and hitch. So go check it out. It also says in the description, there are pictures of the, the bumper and hitch. So it tells you there's pictures and there are pictures. Go check it out. Both in good condition. Uh, I was just wondering, what type of condition are these in? Good. In fact, it says good in the description and below when it asks about the condition through the Craigslist uh, clickers, they put excellent. So it, it sounds like maybe somewhere between good and excellent, this bumper and hitch. To me, it looks excellent. It looks excellent. Yeah. Looks in good condition. Just the bumper and hitch sitting right there in the dirt. Blammo. 50 bucks. And this person does not want to be contacted with unsolicited services or offers. Yeah. So... so that's why we want to give you the post ID. Only get in touch with these people for your new bumper and hitch, John Deere. 50 bucks. Great question. Well, we were actually living in Belize at the time, um, working for an archaeological field school. Basically, it was a study abroad, and we were the camp managers. It was a really great opportunity for a couple of months, so we took it. I learned while in Belize that I had been then accepted after being waitlisted, and we just said, let's do it. So we moved um, to Flagstaff in August of 2001 hmm. and really hit the ground running. We thought we'd stay for two years while I did my master's, two or three years, and Next thing we know, it's been almost 20 now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you can we can fill in the pieces with all kinds of events and people and community experiences. Yeah. But What was the first impression? First impression, great question. I Yeah, I hadn't really spent much time here. I spent a little bit of time here. Um, and first impression was I really like sunshine. I really like no humidity. And I really like, I don't mind bugs, but I don't want them in my house mm -hmm. or biting me all the time. <laughs> and so Indiana has plenty of all of that except for the sunshine. So no mosquitoes really, no fleas to treat your pet mm -hmm. for, um, nothing biting me all the time. And then my hair was manageable because I have really curly kind of big hair and it, it really, you know, goes crazy in humidity. So those are the important things, right? Yeah. Like no fleas and... yeah. No, not big hair. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Those are drivers for us staying here. Yeah. Yeah. And and so living here is a big key to uh, having that strong resemblance to Elaine Venice. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. good. I mean, that's been a part of it. I think Elaine might also be seen as somebody who's very authentic and vulnerable. And, um, but the curly big hair, 
the way she dresses, you know, that literally. And a bit aggressive and caustic She's at a times. Very, very aggressive. aggressive and caustic. <laughs> <laughs> Only with the people I love. Yeah. <laughs> we'll take your word for it, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I, I have some staff members who might, you know. They would wholeheartedly disagree? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, okay. So uh, you and I are both perennial solstice runners. I often see that you're in like the top three, top four, top five, top one, top one, not top one. You never won a short, short course solstice. Uh-uh. Okay. How many times you run the solstice race? Yeah. I, I honestly don't know, um, enough to be what Neil considers a legacy runner, but I think okay. 10 or 15 times. Wow. I don't know. You know, I, it started not too long after I came uh-huh. to Flagstaff and I was part of Natra, the Northern Arizona Trail yeah. Runners Association. So I enjoyed um, interacting with Neil on a regular basis. I knew that he was starting this race again. So I've been doing it more, unless I was out of town every yeah. year yeah. since then. So Wow. Yeah, it always, you always blaze that course. Really? Yeah. Well, wow. here's the key. Sure. Every All the really fast pro runners mm-hmm. or elite runners or friends of mine, they do the long course. Yeah. The long course traditionally sucked because you would do one loop come through the start finish line and have to do your second one who wants to come huh. through start finish line and keep going yeah. no offense to neil yeah no offense neil Sorry. come on neil the only thing yeah. about that was that it cost less to do the long course but the rest of it sucked yeah People running longer suffering more and going through the start finish line midway mm-hmm. seeing so, all the beer just sitting there waiting <laughs> yeah. calling your name those hot dogs yeah. oh how could so you keep short going? course short course is still a great hard yeah. effort it's a nice hours 10k yeah and then you're done and you get to start celebrating in whatever yeah. way you might choose. So, Hot dogs and beer? Hot dogs and beer. So really what I'm saying is um, a lot of people that would have been competitors for me did the long course and so just left me alone. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, I have enjoyed being the Masters mm-hmm. champion a few times. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. There it is. So how long have you been trail running? Really just since moving to Flagstaff, so about really? 20 years now. But um, I would say that like therapy or connections with humans is probably one of my greatest loves. It is my yeah. primary outlet. It's my primary way of communing with nature. It's I call it kind of my spiritual yeah. um, connection and my way of being sort of spiritual or even religious in this world. Hmm. So. How, how old were you when you first got into running? Was it seventh grade? Seventh grade. And then making that transition to trail when you got to Flagstaff? Yes. Yeah. Primarily, yeah. Okay. Do you remember the first trail you did? Yes, I. We lived at the base of Thorpe Park, and so we ran the Urban Trail. Mm-hmm. Um, if you two know this trail, it it starts off, you know, a steady climb, and then goes straight up at maybe a 13, 14 percent pitch. And I thought, I hate this place. Oh yeah. Um, I can't stand Flagstaff. I want to move. <laughs> yeah. Um, they uh, between you know that that incline and the altitude, I I I think I cried. Um, mm-hmm. so that was a rough first trail run but yeah. uh pretty quickly realized yeah, you can walk yeah. <laughs> and then enjoy the rest of it or you can just run as slow as you want or yeah. and eventually you acclimate yada yada yeah so, oh, certainly yada 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 is that a, is that a gavinism v- no, that's, that's a, a via that's elaine bennis uh, i mean it's yada, really yada, a gavinism yada. but yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah well i'm struck how you were talking about running earlier and how it provides like this great sense of connection both to nature and to yourself and in the, like the very beginning of our interview you were talking about self-care routines and just how you deal with the stress of the job it sounds like running holds a pretty paramount uh role in that i think it's the number one thing that yeah. has um shaped my physical well-being, my my self-care, my mental well-being. Um, mm. 
it's, it's how I connect with people. So I tell people, if I don't work with you, if I don't live with you, and if you don't run with me, I'm probably not going to ever talk to you or see you. That's a little bit of an exaggeration, but that's kind of where my time and resources go. Um, mm. So some of the, my most important social connections happen while running. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, and then of course the, the physical impact and, and just the way to yeah. get out and explore. Yeah. I, I really enjoy that. Oh, totally so, awesome. so, uh, um, metaphorically and literally you acclimated, um, in that first run, cause obviously you ended up staying here beyond the two to three year difference. So Flagstaff, you must've acclimated both to trail running and to Flagstaff. What does Flagstaff come to mean for you? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I, you know, I, I, it's home. I, I have transitioned away from calling Bloomington home mm. to calling Flagstaff home. It's home because this is where um, I have put down my adult roots. It's, it's, I think, one of the most beautiful places in the country. It's, mm. it's has access to all so other beautiful places. Um, it's where I have my son was born and, and now being raised and, and obviously that's been a really important part of getting connected to this community. It's part it's where I've um, been so thankful to get my master's and doctoral degree and, and kind of form my professional identity. Um, it's where you know, my partner has been able to do the same. He achieved um, both his master's and doctorate here at Northern Arizona University and has really ident- I, you know developed his, professional and, and part of his personal identity through this place. So um, Flagstaff has really, yeah, really come to mean a lot in terms of both personal and professional experiences. Simply stated, Flagstaff is home, you said. Flagstaff is home. Yeah. Very cool. And I noticed, I like, in my mind, that's, what, that's the way I heard it, too. And then also um, put that in context of earlier, you were talking about that love for Bloomington but used words like nostalgia, which kind of carries that connotation of like a past. And so this became uh, what what you love yeah. in terms of a home. That's sad. Now I feel like crying a little bit. Just well, that's a good note to end on. Yeah. Feel free. <laughs> no, yeah, feel free. <laughs> you, are in, you're, you are in a therapy office, so. Yeah, good point. Yeah. <laughs> now, thank you so much for spending time with us today and being willing to share. Um, as I sat with us sat in here today i I think um early on you emphasized when you were talking about therapy with your clients the values of authenticity and vulnerability and so i appreciate you being willing to live live up to that and share today oh it's a real honor that you two would have asked me i i feel yeah yeah i just feel like oh that's special i have a special connection with you two and that truly i really appreciate the opportunity it's an honor thank you oh yeah yeah thank you this was profound Wow. Prof- 51. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now now we know that uh, her level of authenticity is like... <laughs> questionable. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks again for coming. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Good Have luck great. with your project. Thank, Thank you. you. Party on. All right, the great Gavsky just left the dunny. Here we are, Doctor. Be nice. Up, up. Yeah. So I, I think in the interview, Megan demonstrated the vulnerability and authenticity that she emphasized at the start, and she was talking about that in terms of reducing the stigma for mental health. But um, I think she lives that way, both on my experience in sitting with 
her today and then also kind of knowing her i was a little bummed because uh, we were rushed for time she, megan, yeah. megan was headed out of town and i would have loved to hear more about um why they ended up sticking around flagstaff and yeah. and more about their lives here in flagstaff yeah no doubt um i mean she pretty succinctly described flagstaff as being home it would be cool to hear more about how she connects to the town and that sort of thing mm-hmm. um yeah, we kind of ran, like went from running to to shutting it down, but we were stuck on time, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> boom, peace <laughs> out, yep. go, yeah, yeah. Uh, safe travels, Gavin. Yeah, that interview for me was a ton of fun. Yeah, I just had a lot of fun sitting here. Um, you could see that there was like it seemed like there were some inside jokes between you two, or there were some things like maybe the great Gavsky or like the uh, who is it, Elaine? Uh, Elaine Bennis. Yeah, Elaine from, Bennis. Uh, so she she looks a lot like um, Elaine Bennis from Seinfeld. So for anyone that watches Seinfeld, she looks like Elaine. Maybe not. It, it is a lot of her hair that that looks that way. And then um, and then she can act that way from time to time. So yeah, there were um, in terms of like yeah, just being straightforward and direct like Elaine on Seinfeld. <laughs> and then yeah. sometimes the way I think about it, and I don't know if Megan would see it this way, but. Um, uh, the way that Elaine, for anyone that has seen Seinfeld, the way that Elaine can really kind of tear into George a little bit or like yeah. not give George a lot of leash. Yeah. Like I've seen her dip into that a bit. So with she, people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I would love to be a fly on the wall and watch that happen. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, man, but let's talk Jenny Jones. Oh, wow. That's mind boggling. We got it. We got to search. We, we got to find that footage. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we're just going to throw it out there to our three listeners. If you have any leads, ins, uh, in contacts that can put us in touch with early to mid nineties, Jenny Jones footage, <laughs> if we can collect Megan Gavin as the, uh, the ex, what was it? The ex sleeping with the current, uh, whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, and her man. dad, just so oh. proud showing everyone. Yeah. This is my daughter. <laughs> I thought that was brilliant. Oh man. Oh, yeah. But it was, it was worth it, right? For an adventure, limo rides. Just the fact that we could talk about it now to me <laughs> makes worth it worth it. it. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah, she sure. didn't know if 25 years later or whatever, she'd be sitting in this office yeah. talking about, yeah. she'd be in the dunny yeah. talking about Jenny Jones. Yeah. Probably one of the biggest things that I learned about her, because I know her a fair bit, right? I, mm-hmm. I've worked with her before. Um, she was a supervisor of mine and a bit of a mentor of mine. Um, so I know her fairly well. Uh, but one thing that stuck out to me is uh, that slow burn process of, mm. of realizing kind of like a change of course in early 20s. Yeah. Um, and I think about clients that I work with and I think about that phase of life for me. I like I actually had a lot more clarity. And so yeah. sometimes I meet with clients where that whole phase is really throwing them off and hearing her describe some of that process was really powerful for me yeah yeah slow burn huh Mm -hmm. yeah and seeing i think it's also an interesting transition from biological science to psychological science too yeah um and it seems that in our field now like those two things are converging more and more yeah it seems and so um her connection or orientation towards humans seemed to influence that yeah something we didn't really get to is i'd be curious to know how oriented she is toward neuroscience or toward the biological aspect of psychology yeah yeah, yeah. i wonder if uh she learned anything about the neurochemistry of nematodes yeah and how similar we are to nematodes (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. our dna is biped nematodes (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. Over 90, 98% similar to, <laughs> to Nemo Toads. Toads. <laughs> oh, yeah. No doubt. Ah, so no good doubt. stuff. So I appreciate yeah. that authentic, authenticity that she brought. Um, yeah. And then hearing about how she connects to herself uh, through that self-care and then specifically through running. Good stuff. Really good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Big thanks to Megan Gavin for coming on the show. Yeah. Shout out Kyle. Kyle Miller with Lower Audio. Thanks for cleaning this up. Check us out. Yep. So come check us out on uh, the Instagram, Beyond Flag. I think it's Beyond underscore Flag. And you can check us out on the Twitter. And uh, lastly, hit us up on our website, www.beyondflag.com. Flag being spelled F L G. All right. Frankie Beyond F L G. Yeah. Oh, man. All right. For all our. Yep. Check us out. All right, man. Let's get out the dunny, huh? Yep. One, two, two three. three.